you ever need encouragement that uh, God can use people even though they are not necessarily the uh, brightest bulbs in the box. Um, we got uh, the black Bibles that are in the pews, what, four, five months ago? And every week I would come up as I was done my sermon prep and um, flip one of them open and get the page numbers that, that, that the scripture for the day was on. And it took me until about a week ago to realize that it's the same page numbers that are in my Bible. <laughs> uh, so, <clears throat> if God can use me, he can use anybody. Uh, so, if you'd like to grab uh, a Bible and turn to the Hosea, uh, it's going to be on page 751 in my Bible, as well as the Pew Bibles. <clears throat> uh, so, uh, just by way of um, variety, uh, one of the things that we're doing to break up our series on uh, the church in Ephesus uh, is we're taking and we're covering an entire book of the Bible in one day to give just a big, grand overview of um, the, the themes of that book and what that book is trying to tell us. Uh, so to set some of the context, um, Israel was imprisoned in Egypt, was brought out of Egypt by God, led through the desert uh, in, in what's called the Exodus. Uh, after or at the end of that journey, uh, they conquered the land that was promised to them, the promised land. Uh, they drove out the people uh, who were living there uh, and, and they settled in that land and they became the nation of Israel. Um, now, after some time, uh, they ran into some difficulty, some difficulty that was brought about by sin. They would turn away from following after God. They would follow after something else. God would punish them by bringing in one of the surrounding nations to oppress them. They would repent. They would turn back to God, and God would provide a judge to deliver them. At the end of the time of the judges, the people were tired of this. They said, we want a king, just like all of the nations around us. We want a king to be able to lead us in war. We want a king to tell us what to do. So kings were brought into the nation of Israel. And if you, if you know any of the uh, story of Israel, that went well for about two generations uh, at the end of uh, King Solomon's reign, the kingdom got divided in half. The northern kingdom was Israel, and the southern kingdom was Judah. So you had these kings reigning over these two kingdoms. And there were prophets who were sent to instruct them, to call the people back to God. And Hosea is the story of one of those prophets, named, aptly enough, Hosea. If you don't know what to call a book that you're writing, just name it after the person it's about. Uh, anyway, um, so to, to go back and, and set a, a, a little bit more context for you. So when Israel drove out the inhabitants of the promised land, they were supposed to be completely gone, killed or driven away. But they didn't do that. They, were, they, they didn't complete that work. And God said to Israel, if you don't drive all of these people out, they will be a thorn in your side. And one of the ways that this became true uh, was through 
the, the Canaanite worship of, of a god named Baal. Um, and so one of the specific beliefs uh, around the worship of Baal was the, the belief that the fertility of the land, the growing of crops and animals and so forth, was dictated by sexual relations between Baal and his female counterpart. And the more intense the relations, the better the growing season would be. And so to encourage the gods in this endeavor, um, at the, the shrines of Baal, there, there were prostitutes that were made available so that every man could do his part to help encourage Baal. Uh, one of the things that kind of strikes me about Baal uh, is he seems to have been pretty passive. You know, we have this practice here, and then uh, if you remember when Elijah was uh, calling down fire um, on Mount Carmel and all of the prophets of Baal were there, he, Elijah was taunting them. Um, Shout louder. Maybe he's sleeping and needs to be wakened. Maybe he's gone on a trip. But the favorableness, the the good response that they were hoping for from Baal was based on how hard they worked, what they did. Uh, And so the the chief issue that Hosea is dealing with is this, um, this attempt by the nation of Israel to kind of weld all of these beliefs together, this polytheism. And so Israel was saying, yeah, it was, it, was, it was Yahweh. It was the Lord who brought us out of Egypt. And we need to worship him for that. And we need to thank him for that. But it's Baal who brings us the good harvest. And so we need to, do, we need to worship him so that we can ensure a good harvest. And so the nation of Israel was, in essence, prostituting themselves out in exchange, or so they thought, for a bountiful harvest. And so this imagery of, of prostitution, of unfaithfulness, is a recurring metaphor uh, for the relationship of, of God's people with God. So both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God's people have consistently failed time and time again to honor God to obey him and to love him as we were commanded. And it's not just for no reason, right? They did this to try and get something. They did that. We we do this to try and get something that we think God can't or won't provide. So Israel pursued foreign gods to try and secure a good harvest or to try and be socially acceptable. You had the Pharisees in the time of Jesus Uh, They pursued a legalistic, works-based justification so that they might be able to hang on to their pride and their self-righteousness. And today, we pursue happiness and comfort and security through material possessions. We attempt to pursue the satisfaction of our own desires, meeting our own needs. And we do this so that we might be built up. We do this in pursuit of our own glorification. And so while we may look back on Israel's worship of statues of idols and false gods and think about how much more sophisticated we are today, in reality, we're not any different at all. And so there's three general parts um, of Hosea's book of prophecy, or there's three general recurring themes. So Israel has sinned against God. There is judgment for that sin, but even in the face of that judgment, there is hope for the future. Uh, If we look at uh, 
chapter 4, we see, some of, uh, we see God outlining some of the ways that Israel has sinned against him. Uh, this is in chapter 4, verse, starting in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish, and also the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Jumping over to verse 12. My people inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staff gives them oracles. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore. They sacrifice on the tops of the mountains and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters play the whore and your brides commit adultery. So Israel has has sinned against God. People have turned away from acknowledging God as creator and king. They have turned away from his commands on how they were to conduct themselves. They have turned away so much so that they were seeking counsel and comfort and help from created things rather than the creator. One of the things that I, that I love are those occasions when the prophets, um, they get a little salty, for lack of a better term. So in, in verse 12 there, he says, My people inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staff gives them oracles. So you can picture, you know, that, that's, a, that's a pretty um, blunt picture. You know, this guy, he's walking along in his staff, and he's asking his walking stick what he should do next. That's the point that God is making here. When you inquire of a piece of wood, when you inquire of a, an idol that's made of gold or of silver, what is it that I should do? It's foolishness. <laughs> There's no wisdom in that gold. There's no wisdom in that silver. There's no wisdom in that walking stick. But that was what Israel had turned to, seeking counsel and comfort and help. And they sought to serve a God whose worship was easy and convenient. So we see throughout the book of Hosea, how the nation of Israel has turned away from God. And we also see judgment being pronounced on account of that. Uh, This is in chapter 11, starting in verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim how to walk, Ephraim being a stand-in for Israel. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. 
The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. So the point that God is making here is that despite all that he has done for Israel in bringing them up out of Egypt and and metaphorically teaching them to walk and taking them up by their arms and healing them and feeding them, despite all that he has done, they have refused time and time again to return to him. And so as a result of that, as it says in in verse 5, Assyria will conquer them and God will no longer hear their cries. So there is judgment for sin. There are consequences for sin. But just after that pronouncement of judgment, we see hope. Starting in, in verse 10, they shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. So at the roaring of the lion, all of the scattered, of ch- all of the scattered children of Israel will return to their homes. And so there's hope in this promise that though they are scattered apart, they will be gathered together. Though they are sold into slavery to foreign nations, they will be redeemed. And so to illustrate these truths in a very profound and concrete way, God directed Hosea to get married. And through the story of this marriage, God will use it to illustrate the unfaithfulness of Israel, the judgment that will come upon them, and the hope that they can rely on. So let's look at the parable of Hosea and Gomer. This is in uh, chapter 1. We'll start in verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu, which was the the ruling family uh, in Israel. I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. The Lord said, call his name, not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. So God told Hosea to marry a woman who will be unfaithful to him. 
And this is done as a parallel for the relationship between God and Israel. Because God knew from the very beginning that Israel would be unfaithful to him. And so Gomer had Jezreel, uh, and, uh, and, and Jezreel, it's implied that this is, in fact, Hosea's child. Um, and Jezreel is named the way that he is so that it was clear that what would happen to Israel was a punishment. It was a consequence to what happened for what happened at Jezreel. So Jezreel was his, was his son, and no mercy was a daughter. That's a rough name for a kid, right? <clears throat> no mercy. And it's implied here that this was not Hosea's child. It was Gomer's child, but it was not Hosea's. And so just as Gomer had this child, this daughter, as a result of her unfaithfulness, God will no longer have mercy on Israel as a result of Israel's unfaithfulness. So Jezreel, no mercy, and not my people. Not my people is not Hosea's son. And by naming him this way, it was a firm assertion that Israel had broken their covenant. And they had lost their position of honor and love as God's people. So Hosea married Gomer, and Gomer bore these three children as living, walking demonstrations of God's judgment on Israel. But it doesn't end there. Picking up in verse 10. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. So even in the midst of this stunningly awful and offensive pronouncement of judgment, separation, and estrangement, there is still hope. Because, because God promises that even in the midst of this separation, this judgment is not going to be forever. Even Israel and Judah, who were once brothers but are now enemies, shall be gathered together in peace under one head. The next section here, and I'm just going to summarize this, um, is spoken by Hosea to Gomer's children. But it also uh, works to read it as God speaking to the nation of Israel. And it talks about Hosea's plan for Gomer, or God's plan for Israel. See, Gomer has been out, and she's been living it up, right? She's been feasting, she's been carousing. But what she doesn't realize is that all of the things that she has the food, the wine, the oil, the clothing, the house, all of this has been provided for her by Hosea. And this is a parallel because God has continued to provide rain and continued to provide crops uh, and continued to provide material success to this point while Israel has been worshiping Baal. 
But Hosea says that that is now at an end. He's going to withdraw those blessings. And so it will become clear to Gomer that it hasn't been her lovers who have been providing these things. He says in verse 7, She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband. For it was better for me then than now. So God's ultimate purpose here is to draw Israel back to himself. And it's going to be painful. It's going to be trying. But if you haven't noticed, we can be kind of stubborn. We can be kind of thick-headed. And that's what it takes sometimes to get our attention. Painful, trying times to draw us back to God. It says in chapter 2, verse 14, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there shall answer as in, and there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. And you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for, my, for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. So we see here the restoration of that relationship, the reconciliation of God with his people. And we see these three children of Gomer, these representations of judgment on Israel, each being individually called out by name and redeemed, brought back into relationship with Hosea. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself and the land. Jezreel is the name of a place. It's also a word that means God sows. So God will sow her. God will sow Israel for myself in the land. So God will restore them to the kingdom, have mercy on them, and make him his people once more. The story ends in chapter 3. 
And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her. This is Hosea buying Gomer. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lecteth of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. So there's a time that's being prophesied without king or without prince and without relationship to God. But at the end of that time, the children of Israel shall gather together again and seek after David, their king. There's a minor issue with that. David's dead. He's been dead for a couple hundred years at this point. The entire point of the book of Hosea is that God loves Israel and will redeem her despite her adulterous ways. But in doing so, it points us forward. Israel had tried to be a bride suitable for their God. They had tried and failed. They had tried being ruled by judges and kings and prophets and priests But all of these people, all of these rulers who were supposed to faithfully point people to God, failed. Under their leadership, Israel became like Gomer, a whore, seeking after the satisfaction of this world, sacrificing the faithful love of her husband for the fickle and self-serving affection of her lovers. But these failures point us forward. The unjust judge points us to the one righteous judge. The corrupt priest and the sinful king point us to the great high priest and the king of kings. The prophets who were supposed to deliver the word of God point forward to the one who was the word of God made flesh. So we are given the book of Hosea so that we might see and understand Jesus Christ. Just as Hosea loved Gomer, even knowing that she would be unfaithful, God loved us, even as we were still dead in our sins. And just as Hosea purchased Gomer back out of her slavery, Christ purchased us out of our slavery to sin by his blood. And just as Hosea told Gomer to look forward to the day when their relationship would be fully restored, we are taught to look forward to the day that the relationship between God and us is made right. To look forward to the day when Christ will reign over the whole earth, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. There are a few things that I kind of glanced over or grazed over here. This is chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. 
and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Then in chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head. They shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Israel was destroyed shortly after this as a nation. They were conquered by the Assyrians and dispersed in slavery and in subjugation. But Hosea tells us here that they will be brought back together on this day of Jezreel. And we live today in anticipation of that. See, Jezreel is the name of a city in in a valley. And they call the valley Jezreel sometimes. But at the other end of the valley is a city called Megiddo in Hebrew. But you've probably heard of it by its Greek name, Armageddon. The day of Jezreel is the day of Armageddon. A day of justice when wrongs are righted and sins There's a cost that comes to sin. And there is a day coming when all sins must have their full price paid for. The day of Jezreel, a day of separation, separation between those who are God's people and those who are not. When those who are called by his name are finally united with him that we may worship him forever as citizens not of the United States or of Israel and of Judah, but but as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And there's good news there. Because citizenship in that kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven, isn't reserved for those who have lived a good life. It's not reserved for the pretty or the powerful, the intelligent, or the wise, or the proud. It's not reserved for those who are of superior birth and upbringing. But the kingdom of heaven is for people like Gomer. A whore who was bought back by a loving husband. The kingdom of heaven is for people like me. A man who even today seeks not after God, but after my own comfort, after my own pride and my own glory. So is the kingdom of heaven for you? Are you ready to give up on your pursuit of what this world has to offer? Because like Gomer's lovers, the things that this world has to offer are false. And there will come a time when you will seek to lean on them for support. You will seek to use them to hold you up and they, and they will be nowhere to be found. That's what Hosea said of Gomer. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but not find them. Do not wait to discover this for yourself. 
Do not wait to find out on the day of Jezreel, Armageddon, judgment, that you have been pursuing the wrong things. Heed the warning that Hosea and Gomer lived out. Turn aside from the pursuit of the things of this world and place your trust in the one who bought you. Who bought, your, who bought you out of your whoredom to this world. God knows the depths of your sin. He knows the full extent of your depravity, just as Hosea knew exactly what Gomer was up to. Yet he still loves you. Yet he still calls to you. He still holds himself out as the way. Turn aside. Repent of your sin. Follow after him. It was not accomplished in Gomer's life by anything that she did. She didn't earn her way back into Hosea's good graces. She didn't earn deliverance from her slavery. But she was given it as an undeserved gift. And that is the grace that we have been extended through Jesus Christ. That we, who are dead in our sins, who are slaves to our sins have been bought by the blood of Christ that we be. Father, your word removes all pretense. There's no way that we can look at this story, God, and be convinced of our own, our ownness. Our own sufficiency, God. There isn't any way that we could ever hope to earn ourselves back out of this hole. There's no way that we could ever be good enough to pay the price that our sins require. So without you, Father, we are like Gomer, lost in slavery lost in sin. But you presented us the way. You have paid that price. You have bought us out of our sin. You have raised us from the dead, Father. I ask that... I ask that you would be at work in our hearts that the reality, the reality of our situation apart from you, the reality of our own behaviors, God, would sit like a rock in the pits of our stomachs, God. But only so long as it takes to turn our hearts to you, that we would stop running after the things of this world, that we would stop seeking to glorify ourselves, but that, but that we would humble ourselves, that we would lay everything down and say, God, I've made a mess of it. 
and we can trust that you are faithful to forgive. That you are faithful to draw us close to you. That you are faithful to keep your promises. This promise of reconciliation, this promise of judgment. Father, we could never stand on that day on our own merits. We could never stand up and say that we were good enough. We could never stand up and say that we had done the right thing. Because, Father, we are Gomer. We haven't. But you have told us. You have told us that we, that when we trust in Christ, we are judged not on what we have done, but what he did on our behalf. Father, help us to embrace us. Help us to embrace that. Help us to rest in that. Help that truth to seep, to seep out. Help that truth to start in our hearts and work its way out through our lives that we might be light, that we might be a witness to your mercy and grace in this world that so desperately needs it, Father. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.